Hello and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast. Uh, it is me, Sonson Jones, and uh, yeah, normally this podcast is two atheists who happen to run non-religious congregations, uh, and we talk about uh, the big topics which are vital to being a human. And that means that we, uh, because we sort of run non-religious congregations, we do look to religious traditions to see what we can learn from them. But we've also got our eyes firmly fixed on the science so that we can marry the two, uh, but in a way which isn't just sort of nonsense and uh, actually really, you know, really does get the best of both. Uh, today, I've got a great guest lined up for you, uh, and her name is Michelle Elman. She is a coach, and we're going to talk all about boundaries. Uh, Michelle has done amazingly well at a tender age. She's uh, already published two books. And it's got over 300,000 followers uh, on social media. Go her. And so we, we talk about boundaries. And the conversation really helped me actually understanding that you can have you can have different boundaries with different people at different times. Michelle actually disagreed with me, but that was one thing that I was thinking about. Uh, and so it helped me in my own thinking. But then she also really explored why setting boundaries can be hard, why we're not really used to it. And that's, you know, was really helpful for me. Uh, and then also how like the act of setting a boundary like literally saying this is what i'm going to cope with this is these are my limits you know that actually changes something in you when you say it so i am sure there's going to be loads of juiciness and deliciousness in here for you uh if if you like the sound of this podcast, you like uh, talking about it and you'd like to get into the issues, there is a lifefulness community. We meet online to discuss the things which come up into the podcast and also to provide support and accountability and love and connection. And so you can find out more about that in the comments, down, not in the comments, in the, in the links down below. Uh, so uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much, Michelle. And on with the conversation. Still, uh, there we go. Uh, so, uh, hello, it is Sanderson here. This is the Life on This podcast, and I'm doing this without my co-host James. Thank goodness, because I, you know, like uh, always, uh, think he's actually holding me back. Uh, and so it's just me and our brilliant guest Michelle Elman. Uh, how are you, Michelle, today? I am great. Thanks for having me on. It's quite ironic because I used to have a podcast with the co-host, and I now have one without. No. So, what happened to them? Did you? Were no, they holding they're you back? My, they're, best, they're still my best friend. It was just the direction I wanted to go in was very life coach and expert heavy, whereas they weren't qualified. So. Oh, so, so no, I still yeah. like them. They're just incompetent. They're just not no, good no, enough. No, absolutely not. Everyone, everyone who follows me knows she's still my best friend, but. But um, she's stupid. No. <laughs> Not at all. Not, Not at, at all. all. Okay. A uh, shout out to, what's her name? Amalia. Shout out to Amalia. We all really back you 100%. And uh, we... Uh, she's, and so, more, she's the more likable out of the two of us. <laughs> I mean, you're slagging her off and like the, kicking her out of podcasts. I can well believe that. Uh, <laughs> Michelle, it is a delight to have you on. You uh, are a celebrated coach. Uh, you are also, I believe uh, you're an influencer as well. Uh, how do you sit with that word? Uh, I think it's just a word. It's, it's just a word. 
the word comes about from the marketing industry. That's what they labeled people who do social media stuff. And ultimately, the amount of time wasted arguing about the word, it's the job title that's now being used. It's the one that's understood. I guess I could go with content creator. No, no, but that also sounds not great either. It's, it's, it's annoying. There's no good word for well, it's it. It's just yeah. a mouthful. Yeah. And so I, I like to say I'm a life coach first and I just happen to also do social media. So influencer, if you will, works. Then you at least yeah yeah why. yeah the uh, I have one around a motivational speaker because people do reach out to me because and that mm. just sounds like it instantly casts up these images. So I've purposely never used motivational speaker. I use public speaker because public speaker. Yeah yeah yeah. That's the job, but I don't motivate. Motivation is fickle and fleeting. So I don't want to be in that business. You've got an iron fist, and that you're willing to deploy it as shown to poor Amalia. Uh, you know, it's uh, well, you're all about discipline. She isn't, she isn't. Uh, but you have just written an awesome book and it's called The Joy of Being Selfish. And in fact, that title is a bit of a misnomer because it's, it's really about how to uh, help others by having great boundaries. And- well, um, I quite like the controversial book title. My first one was called Am I Ugly? And that stirred up a lot of really interesting responses. So I felt I had to match that energy. With yeah, yeah, book. yeah. That, yeah. And I mean, it is, it is uh, ear catching for sure and uh, the first question we always ask guests is uh, what is what was the religious or spiritual or philosophical background whatever as broadly as you might interpret it to your childhood so I grew up going to church every Sunday Uh, my mum only discovered Christianity later in her life so I think I only really started going when I was like maybe seven so maybe seven to ten my dad's Jewish but uh, we like to say he's Jew-ish because uh, <laughs> I can't remember the last time he went to the synagogue but, or temple, but he, he knows a bit of Hebrew, he's kosher. Um, and so that's my upbringing. And I then went to a really religious school and got really interested in religion, maybe around the age of 12. I got baptised and confirmed out of my own doing. And then promptly fell out of love with it when they couldn't answer any of the questions so about a year later pretty much a year after I got confirmed I was like no I can't do this I think I also was going through the like you have all these rules but you can't tell me why you have these rules and so I was frustrated with that and I think well I'm 27 now and since I was 22, 23, I found, and how I would describe myself now is I'm a spiritual person. So I believe in the universe. I believe that there is a greater purpose. I believe um, that the universe is not particularly invested in one person, but that there is something greater out there that isn't tangible or anything. I also believe in divine timing, that things happen at the right time for the right reason. Um, but I would not say I'm religious. Yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like you made a good sort of targeted strike for the confirmation presence. You went and got loaded up and then you're like, see you later. Uh, and it, uh, yeah, very, uh, very instrumental use of religion there. I think it's quite um, indicative of who I am as a person. Like I will get on board with the rule as le- long as you can explain me why and have good reasoning behind it. And I 
I've gone through a lot of surgery in my youth and unfortunately as a result that meant I watched a lot of children die sorry to bring it to a morbid topic so quickly Um, but ultimately that's what I was struggling with when I was 13 years old was I've just watched like over 100 to 300 children die every day and tell me why and the response God has a plan. Yeah. It's not good for me. And also just sounded really cruel. And I was like, well, if God does have that plan in mind, I don't want any involvement in that. God has a plan, but unfortunately it didn't include those children. They were really gonna hold the plan back. They were they were not gonna be team players. Exactly. And then also you're a bit like, great, so why did I get chosen to survive? Like, what exactly is my plan? Like, do I get an unfortunate death, but in a more gruesome way further down the line to compensate for the fact that I got a few extra years of life? And you go, I mean, it's very unusual to go into existential crisis when you're 13 years old, but that's what I did. <laughs> like, how did you see, what, what hospital were you in? You saw 100 people, children die a day. Not a day. Uh, So I was in hospital for three months, but I was in the ICU. So I was in the most extreme where an ICU, the whole purpose of it is you're meant to leave the ICU, but it's the most extreme cases. It's one nurse per patient. So, and I've been hospitalized more. So that was one experience, but then I've been hospitalized. I've had in total 15 surgeries. So I've been hospitalized for prolonged periods in the ICU for a majority of my childhood. So when I say I've seen that many people, I mean, if you've got to the point where you hear a heart rate monitor flatlining going, oh no, another one yes. again. Like you've had too many. Yeah. Sorry, Sorry, for some reason I thought you said you saw about 100 or 200 die a day. And I was just trying to picture what sort of scene you were in. I don't think you're even seeing that in a in in, an, in one ICU in the pandemic. I don't think you're even seeing that. So no. no, 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 I don't. I thought you were like in some sort of... Uh, torture camp or something but uh, okay so we've established you didn't spend your childhood in a torture camp which is great uh but uh you so then you sort of lost your religion and then now looking because you do have you know you've got this connection with uh faith-ish and various different things what do you, we live in a society which is getting ever more secular uh, like what is a thing which like a great lesson that everyone could sort of take from religion whether it be big or small or whatever well I think the whole um the best benefit if we ignore all the rules and a lot of the judgment that exists within religion the best thing I believe that comes out of religion is community and that sense of connection and you can foster that in so many ways whether that's um to be honest I found it a lot I mean everyone gives social media like flack but I found that on Instagram when I first um, started doing what I was doing. I found it in the body positive community to have, and that's essentially what religion is. It's a mutual set of beliefs and to have a mutual set of beliefs, which at the time were not very popular. um, And therefore you get a connection with these people who not only understand your life experience, but in the same way I tried to create the same with, um, I uh, created this community called Scar Not Scared and I had the same thing of like people have gone through the same surgeries they've had the insecurities about the scars as well so it is that mutual experience or that mutual belief in something um, that I believe is a positive that comes out of religion and I think I get the same thing now from being spiritual is that when I meet a spiritual person it's almost like my eyes light up a little bit and go oh so do you do you do angel cards as well and then like something as silly as that but you've got a connection and then 
it's it's those moments where you don't have to put an extra sentence to explain yourself mm. before you know what you're talking about. Yeah, who's your favorite angel card maker? I, I like Doreen Virtue. I've got a a dolphin and and fairy one at the moment. That I'm okay, really like. <laughs> Look, I'm going to just be totally honest. I am so I'm a I'm an atheist, but like I've run a I've started non religious churches, and uh, if you do like the sound of community, uh, there's a lifefulness community, dear listener, which you can find in the link below. And so yeah, that's what that's what we do. We do it online. Uh, the uh, and so I'm always looking at spiritual practices and particularly religious practices and just saying, OK, how could, what's a sort of secular interpretation of them? How could that be put into practice? What could we learn? OK, so bear in mind, I was dragged into spirituality, like kicking and screaming. Like I did not want it because I saw spirituality and religion as the same thing. And like after that experience at 13, I was like, hell no, don't involve me. How I got into angel cards actually came before the spirituality came. So what happened was I, I'm a life coach, but every life coach has a life coach. And uh, the life coach I've been working with for the last six years, the first session we had together, it was a very combative session where it was just like, oh, not sure this is going to work. And then basically because she's a good life coach, she was fighting me the entire way. And I like, I'm, I was quite used to, for lack of a better word, steamrolling <laughs> life coaches that I had worked with in the past and she wasn't going to let me. Anyway, we got to the end of the session of like a tense session and she was like, she, she brought out her angel cards. It was like, just take one. It will be the perfect message you need right now. And I'm not joking. I pulled a card that said exactly what we'd been speaking about the whole session. And so I was like, mm, that's just chance. That's just coincidence. And then it happened again after our second session and then I was like okay I'll get a pack and then we'll see if this happens every time I pull a card it's exactly what I need to hear in the moment and it's so funny how specific it is and I've introduced so many of my friends who are not spiritual to it and they are spooked by it and unlike tarot cards it's not hard to like read or understand it simply says what is literally on the card so it's so specific um but I, I will have literally had, I did it with one of my friends where we were having a conversation about how I was like, oh, I think I'm ready for, for a relationship. Like, I, I don't really want to be single anymore. I mean, the pandemic hasn't helped. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I want to be single anymore. I'm, I think I'm ready for a relationship. And she was like, oh, I thought we were going to pull, pull angel cards. Like, I want you to show me. And so we did it. And I'm not joking. I pulled like, uh, uh, I pulled two cards. One said soulmate connection and one said new love. Oh, hello. Like, yeah, so it was things like that where it was like... It didn't say is, sort of delete Tinder, uh, you know, just stay with, Okay. So I guess there's an element of up, up to interpretation, but I think it's as specific as a bunch of cards. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, uh, it'd be amazing if your turns out your life coach has got like loads of decks of cards printed, like depending on what the session was out. Just like pick a card, go on. What is this? It? Like, oh my gosh, these are so precise. It's actually just a magician. <laughs> yeah. Thing, yeah, but no, I mean, I have my own. I have okay. my own deck now, and so there is no magic trick behind yeah. it. The so my uh, like. And, you know, all power to uh, your vibe. So my, like, I think they, that makes it sound a bit like the Brian Eno uh, Oblique Strategies cards, which he used with David Bowie, which are really amazing for creativity, where you pull one out and it goes and gives you like a sort of prompt. And obviously, like if you, 
you know, people bring their own lens to it. So uh, I'm not discounting your angels uh, vibe. Uh, it's not it's not my vibe, but there we have it. Uh, and uh, yeah, so now we're going to get into your book or shall we a little bit more time to just say like the story of between how you, uh, you know, got out of hospital and then became a life coach. Just that like to fill us in before we get to the joy of being selfish. So I, the last time I was in hospital was maybe eight years ago. So I struggled with my health probably up until the age of 20. Uh, whilst I was in the middle of a psychology degree and the intention was always to become a psychologist and um, managed to graduate somehow, uh, not with help from my university, but I did it anyway. And uh, like as life always pans out, the moment I was about to graduate was the moment I went, hmm, not sure I want to be a psychologist anymore. And this was like a 10-year goal in my head of like, I'm becoming a psychologist. And then literally three months before graduation, I went, I'm not sure if this is the right path for me. And so I started looking at other options and I found life coaching and everything they spoke about. I was like, this is what I believe in. This is how I believe I can help people. And I don't think that there's one way that works. I think therapy works for some people, psychologists, psychiatrists, go to whoever you want. But I think what's important is the person whose job it is, you have to actually believe in it yourself. And so I believed in life coaching. And so that's where I... I started working as a life coach when I was 21. I'm 27 now. And um, I have loved it. it. I do it a lot more unconventionally than, I guess, traditional life coaches. There was a point in my time where I would have a long list of clients, whereas now, because of the influencer side and the author side and the public speaking side, I am a life coach, but I use a different medium of life coaching. Yeah, you just sort of like life coach everyone in, instead of life coaching yeah. a few. Group coaching, yeah. essentially. Yeah. The uh, I oh you as you're talking, I just remember the thing when you know every uh, every life coach has got to have a life coach. The it made me one. It made me think that that sort of implies that like if they were all connected, there'd be like one uber life coach at the in the middle, who's like the final level boss. Uh, the uh, of life coaching but uh, and you're saying you got a bit combative with your I ended up getting fired by my therapist recently <laughs> not like a fit he didn't say it he, did, he just went do you think this is working like one of those things where it's just like I'm yeah. like I'm willing to carry on but like it's not working basically so uh that was quite funny uh and the I mean, funny or just really sort of reflects badly on me. Uh, so now we're going to get into your book, The Joy of Being Selfish. And it is a book about boundaries. And I think in like, it'd be great to go and sort of define them for folk because there's, I'm just going to tell you, there's a bit in my mind, which still, I'm going to say this about almost all personal development and life coaching. And I do it. It's my job. There's still so much of it, which my inner British person slightly goes and pushes back against. Of And boundaries are, is one of those things Like we, uh, you know, if you are used to this idea that like you've got to agree with people or get on with people, like actually people being able to set clear sort of boundaries around what they do can be challenging but we're going to get into that so first like yeah what is you know what are boundaries just to like bring everyone up to speed 
So boundaries are what is and isn't acceptable about how someone treats you. It is also the line between who you are and who the world wants you to be. And it also is the invisible fence between you and another person. It's what divides your stuff and their stuff. And that could be their emotions, that could be their reactions, their responses, all of that. But it's what is protects our individualism and autonomy. Mm. And the and like what made you sort of like what was the thing which go and made you go and write about this? Like what was uh, the fact that I had no boundaries six years <laughs> okay. ago and found it myself. I mean, when something changes your life, for lack of a better term, because it's such a cliched way of putting it, you kind of become evangelistic about it. You kind of want to tell everyone about it, and so. I did online, was talking about it for maybe one, two years. Um, And meanwhile, I was pitching out other books. After my first book, I was pitching out other books. And um, there was just a moment where I had had a few rejections. I'd um, had a few manuscripts come back and all of that. And I just was ready to give up, essentially. And uh, one of the agents I work with, who's in charge of my social media, so had nothing to do with my book stuff had just asked me oh like how's book stuff going and I replied with don't ask me about it talk to me in a few years <laughs> and he responded with I'll wait a few months but okay and I just went to bed that night being like if I did if I tried one more time if I wrote one more proposal one more manuscript what would it be about and it was just like boundaries and it came to me in a way that was like this is so obvious how have you not thought of this earlier did you draw a card was it on a card no it was on a dm that said like (laughs) literally my dms were full that day of like calling me the queen of boundaries really how have i not and even the next day i i had this idea sent an email to my literary agent and then went back on my Instagram and saw in my DMs like more things of people calling me queen of boundaries. I'm like, how did I not see this earlier? I've been talking about boundaries for two years. And the funny thing is when you're pitching a book, they always say like, why are you the person who has to write this book? Why can't someone else write this book? And the boundaries was probably the only topic I could be like, I need to write this book. Like I know exactly like what boundaries are. It's not some lofty thing in my head. It's not a random concept that would be nice to add to your life. Like I specifically can tell you what boundaries are. I can specifically tell you which order to set them. And I can do the practical stuff, which is why I need to write this book. (laughs) Yeah. And then, like you said, that you didn't have any boundaries. Like, uh, by the way, before we get to this question, when you're talking about the queen of boundaries, all I could think is that like you sound like some sort of a female cricket star. You know, just like uh, an absolute... Why is is boundary a cricket Oh, oh, if you're not getting into the boundaries and boundaries puns with cricket, then, I mean... I've not heard it. I clearly have too much of a female audience. Yeah. Do you know what? Women like cricket too. Uh, I don't... I don't want to boundary check you. Uh, And... uh, so, yeah, so how did that show up in your life? Like, what were the things which were you noticed, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing this? I was a pushover and I was a people pleaser. And how that showed up in my life was, uh, for example, a boyfriend once, I didn't reply to his reply for an hour, his text for an hour. And he responded with, that's strange. We're usually at my beck and call. What? And Who was- is this? ENX? <laughs> Yes, a hundred percent. Definitely, is I could not publish this book if this was. You're at my beck and call. 
Well, also, this was an ex of seven years past. I am a different person. But let's, let's bear in mind that when I say I uh, was an ex-pushover or an ex-people pleaser, this was a five, six, seven year journey of learning how to set boundaries. But if you want to talk about that time in my life, seven years ago, six years ago, that was the kind of thing that is the opposite. A person without boundaries, that's the kind of thing that happens. And I didn't even react negatively. I laughed at it. Yeah. And then we just carried on texting about something else and um, a few other things that happened with my friends. And it's even conversations I remember where I used to say after that relationship ended, uh, quite soon after, I think it was like a month after that comment. And um, I remember talking to my friends being like, why are none of my romantic relationships working out? And they always said, you are too nice, which I could definitely not be accused of that now. <laughs> but back then, I think the code of too nice is actually code for lack of boundaries. And that's essentially where all areas of my life were going wrong. And it was things like it was one month before my dissertation was due and I hadn't even talked to my dissertation supervisor because he just would not reply to any of my emails. And so rather than having boundaries around that and being like, reporting him or talking to someone more senior I just I mean at one point I sat outside his office for or office for a week and discovered he didn't actually turn up to his office so yeah. just trying to get a response because I was like I need to write my dissertation and you're the only person who can help me by the way I think that's quite interesting because that's not something which people would initially think of as a boundary like it is it sounds like okay that person's a twat but I think what was really good is that you're uh but it's like that's actually if that's happening to you and you're just sort of absorbing it in a way you're you're letting that happen to you as well and in well, a so, in a manner of speaking so yeah do, do you want to just go and expand on that well so boundaries are essentially about treatment so when it comes to good boundaries someone with good boundaries responds to work emails with someone with good boundaries would have respect for someone's time someone with good boundaries wouldn't send an email saying, well, come see me then and then not be there for a week. So things like that are about timekeeping boundaries, but they're also about work. Like as much as it was a university relationship, it was a work relationship. And so not honoring that and not respecting that and also not having respect for the other person is bad boundaries. And that's essentially why we, but it's also why I wanted to talk about it in all areas of life, because Whenever we talk about boundaries or whenever it's spoken about on the internet or on social media, it's lofty. It's like this concept that no one can really pin down. And it's always talked about in like personal relationships, but actually it comes into work relationships. It comes into family relationships. Um, And it's not just long-term romantic relationships. It's also casual relationships as well. And it's friendships. So and any any time someone is treating you a certain way involves boundaries, whether you have good boundaries or bad ones. Yeah, one thing which I really loved is also explore when you explored how uh, the idea of sort of selflessness of you know actually sort of really serving others, maybe sometimes to the detriment of yourself. Like often that is. So I- controversially believe that being selfless is uh as a result of an insecurity that you are not good enough in yourself that therefore you have to provide so much for others in order to fill that void and be 
worthy enough or valuable enough as a human being to simply just exist. Yeah, and I think there's also sort of like occasionally when uh, people are really involved in someone else's life. It's also, I think, sometimes about it's often about power and control of like wanting to make sure that uh, you are like you might be needed but then also like if there's a feeling that that's going wrong then you have to go and control another aspect of your life and then you become overly involved in it and then someone else's life is you know you feel that you should be able to have an opinion in other areas and that it is the like the sort of dark side of uh, the dark side of being a seemingly nice person <laughs> Well, so this is this is the thing. Like, I I do a Q and A on on Instagram every Monday, and uh, I I think my my audience are now very accustomed to the fact I'm quite blunt with my advice because I'm like, why waste my time? Why waste your time? But the the advice I am the harshest on is when I get a question that starts with, well, I'm going to give you an example that I got last Monday. My friend has an eating disorder. What do I do when she won't admit it to herself? And my advice is quite harsh in saying you don't know that and it's none of your business just because you think they have an eating disorder doesn't mean they do have an eating disorder and the fact that this question box is for your problems but you are sending me a problem of someone else's says more about you than it does about the other person and there's a a joke in life coaching that actually goes like how many life coaches does it take to change the light bulb one as long as the light bulb wants to change And it is that thing of if you've ever gone through personal growth or self-development in any way, you know how hard it is. How do you think that you're going to be able to do that for someone else? Because even trying to do it for yourself is hard enough. But you can't want that change because it takes work. And any any change in your life, whether that was me learning how to set boundaries after like so many years of being treated badly, it takes work and no one else could have wanted that for me, mm. no matter how much they loved me or cared about me. Yeah, and I guess that's the part where, uh, so there's this big controversy around boundaries uh, online around the, uh, you have to text someone before you ring them if you're going to ask them uh, if you've got a problem. Like that ended up becoming a real meme saying oh, like, can this, I can um, I go and, it was like, uh, can I speak to you about- Melissa Fabello. I do not know who it was, but it became, so but a lot of people- I love Melissa yeah. Fabello, but that I, I think it was the same thing. But I think that, so I know her, I know her online. I've never met her in person, but I've known her for a while. And I think the controversy around that was she phrased it in a quite formal way. That's the way she communicates. Her, the substance behind what she was saying still stands. And so it's why in my book, I was I was quite clear in saying, this is the way I communicate. And you might think it's too blunt, too harsh, whatever. It's given as an option. When I'm giving you a text template, it's so that you have options of things to say. You might not want to phrase it exactly how I phrase it, but I think the joke that ended up coming out of it was like, my mum just died. Great, I'll let you know in three to five working days. And like that, how I, 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 I briefly mention it in the book, but what I, how I say it is like, the thing that people forget is that when you're using boundaries, you're meant to use them with common sense. Like if someone's mum has died, maybe don't reply with, hi, I don't have the emotional capacity. Yeah. For this at the moment. Like, and I guess it is, there's a, a part of this and we're going to get into the boundaries more where there's, I think sometimes hard and fast rules in almost every category don't really work. And that they're, yeah. So, 
you know, like sometimes it would be appropriate to ask someone if you need help, uh, if, if you can ring them because you need help. And other times you might be stuck uh, in the woods uh, on a dark night and then you're just like, I've, I really have to do this or whatever it might be. But we're going to get into some of those sort of areas a bit later. It would be, uh, it'd be really good. Like you had this section on like why, why people aren't good at at setting boundaries and you sort of went through like people don't know what they want they don't know what they feel and and I just thought it'd be quite good to go and like talk through some of those points of uh uh and if you if you can't remember them all to hand I've got them all here so we can talk through them as well uh just uh just so you're not in that situation which American politicians sometimes find themselves in when they've been campaigning for the uh 10 commandments and then they get asked to name them they're like oh I don't know so uh, well uh, you know what I really empathize with those people now because what I realized is I, I there are maybe five points in my books where I list like five reasons why four reasons why and then try to recall that it's not that I didn't write the book myself it's the fact that yeah doing yeah. that multiple points in the book maybe wasn't the smartest idea for press interviews mm-hmm. yeah so I've got them here uh we can go and yeah so or maybe should I tell you what we'll make it sound as though you definitely know them so the first one is like you don't know what you want like that people yeah. can't set boundaries because they don't actually know you know what they want and so like what are some of the things around that well, they've never been asked what they want. They were brought up in a family where their wants weren't heard or listened to. So they just learnt to never voice them. And so what happens with that adult form of that is when you ask someone what they want, they truly do not know. And they oftentimes don't have access to their feelings. But I think that's bordering on the next point is that you don't know what you feel. Well done. <laughs> You've nailed it there. Yeah. <laughs> I do vaguely <laughs> recall writing this book at some point. Um and then that leads into the next one, which is you don't know how to process what you feel. So- By the way, I'm just going to stop you on you don't know what you feel. Is it like sometimes I uh, have, there's been situations where in work, I think I will, something will happen and I'll sort of almost be, I'll be angry about it like a like a day yeah. later and yeah so and so when i do this like when i do various uh like work around this uh around you know just myself uh the like uh it's often like so do you have any problems with anger and i'm like well i suppose i do have one in that i rarely feel it because i think in order to feel it you've got to know when like someone's gone well, I, yeah. when someone's done something which crosses a boundary and for me that is like something which i yeah, does not come uh like, I don't think I've learned. And so, yeah, that one really resonated. So I don't know. And I also don't spend a lot of time questioning whether that's because we all have different processing speeds or whether it's because we were taught at some point in our life. Because I'm quite similar to you. I will be absolutely fine in the conversation, go to sleep, and then I'll wake up in the morning and suddenly be like, that was really rude. And then I'll like start raging about it in my head and I'll replay the conversation. I went, well, I should have said this and I should have said this. And what I realized is when you have good boundaries is you can set that boundary later. And so a lot of the time I like will find myself and I use an example of the book where a friend said uh, that I I was so unforgiving, I was never going to find a boyfriend. And I got angry about it after I hung up the phone. I And I didn't notice it on the phone call. And then... I hung up the phone and went, that's a horrible thing to say, but like didn't actually think is, about it at the time. Is this why you fired Amalia from the podcast? Did she, no, did she drop no, that bomb on you? Not. You know what? Amalia is two examples in the book, but not named because no one's named in the book. 
She is two examples in the book, but she is the two good examples in the book. Oh, is she, so, is she the uh, one in that story where you said, uh, I used to do a podcast with someone, but I had to set a boundary because they were too thick? No. <laughs> I would like to clearly state I would have never said those words at any point. <laughs> uh, Amalia, but, shout out to you. Uh, you're doing great work. Uh, I, was, I, I regret saying anything already. <laughs> Anyway, back to the point. Back to the point. We don't know how to process how we feel. And then there's that one of like, and it actually gets into why people find it challenging to set boundaries. They feel guilty around it. They've got this dislike. Well, no, no, just like, like what, like how people don't actually really know how to do it, you know? Yeah. So a, a lot of it is when they say, I don't know how to set boundaries, they're not saying like, well, they're saying a number of things, but one of the biggest things they're saying is, Word for word, what do I actually say to set the boundary? And it sounds like you're learning a different language. And I I remember sitting in my own life coach's office being like, okay, you're going to have to text that out for me. and Because she'd be like, you need to set a boundary. I'm like, I agree, except how do I say it? So I'd be like, word for word, what do I actually say? And it's so funny because your brain almost like, stretches in a way that you've never experienced it stretching where like you're like wow it's never occurred to me to say that like the first time I heard someone go this friendship doesn't work for me we've heard that in the context of romantic relationships but I went it's never occurred to me or like I I remember the exact moment I said uh, someone said you could say do not speak to me that way and I went it's never occurred to me to say that and like, of course, I know the words. Like, I know, I know how English works. Yeah. But like, and Michelle, and that is actually, one of the things that we're also proudest of you for, like, really getting that, <laughs> you know, getting that under control. Michelle Elman, we'll author that. and sort of English speaker. Speaker of English. Yeah. Well, you say that. I remember um, a moment when I was in year 11, I think, and I made a, like, grammatical error. I was saying something and I got really angry about it. And I, I think I said is instead of are. And the teacher went, don't make fun of Michelle. English is her second language. And I went, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being sympathetic to me. But that has yeah. unfortunately made the situation and far, far worse. And then she tried to dig herself out of it, being like, no, but she's a bilingual speaker, so she's <laughs> languages to you. And I was like, I can't speak two languages. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we should just stop yeah. it here. <laughs> she has, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Michelle, round of applause for Michelle there. For speaking English, well done. Uh, and yeah, so I think, yeah, that is quite sort of uh, unnatural. One thing which is sort of coming back in this uh, in this conversation, and I was going to get to it later, but like I have, so I got diagnosed with ADHD, and one of the one of the things about that is that like you, there are you sometimes just don't know when stuff's going to work or not, and so sometimes being like, okay, well these are the rules that like people have to respect, or this is how I have to do this, like that is just sort of like impossible with ADHD like you like everyone the the whole you know people try very very hard like the the entire challenge of it is that it is really hard to make these changes in a way that is fundamentally different to people who are neurotypical not fundamentally very different Uh, and so yeah I think that's part of me which is like which maybe is still struggling with this where it's like you know someone could act in a way but you're just like well that's my you know I'm, I'm 
I'm not in control of that in the same way that other people are. And so, yeah, that's how do you, I guess in that maybe a different way of phrasing it, because I'm just rambling, is how do you go and cope with those situations where someone has a boundary which is sort of, uh, you know, something which might not meet yours, but like they can't really, you know, change it or, you know, that's, that is what it is. Hey there, I normally come in at this uh, time just to go and sort of talk about the Lifefulness community, but I thought I'd try something different and just invite you just for a moment, just to share like uh, three deep breaths. That's it. Just going to have a moment just to breathe. Hmm. And that's it. Oh, there's a Lifefulness community. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. Find out more details in all the places you'd like to find out details. And back to the pod. Well, so when it comes to boundaries, it's all about communication. So ultimately, you can't teach boundaries without learning how to communicate. And when you're setting boundaries, it shouldn't be because you're so scared of having the hard conversation. So that's where it becomes walls and you're not actually setting boundaries at all. And so when you go to any of those kind of situations or you're having those conversations, there's an element of flexibility. There's an element of compromise and all of that. Although I don't like using the word compromise because I think the meaning of it changes. And especially when it comes to people who uh, don't like respecting your boundary, they will throw the word compromise as a way to be like, the compromise is you have no boundaries and let's ignore all your boundaries and let's respect all of mine. So I don't use the word compromise, but I think, I mean, I relate in some aspect. I'm a dyslexic writer, which there aren't many people out there who are. And a lot of the time people don't understand things. So like uh, understand how my brain works. So for example, I really, really cared that my subsections were on different pages. And my editor very kindly explained to me, okay, but we are very close to the deadline. We don't have time to do that. And I went, no, it's really important to me because I'm dyslexic. And then she went, okay, but that means we had to lose the pen, the index. And I was like, I don't need an index. Get rid of the index. Doesn't matter. We can get rid of it because you'd have to change the page numbers on the index um, if you changed, if you separated out the subsections. And so I was like, but I care about this. And so I've been talking a lot about this in the last few weeks because I was like, I only have that in my head because I'm dyslexic myself. And I know that a lot of books make me feel stupid. And I'm at the point in my life where I realize I'm not stupid. I I read 75 books last year, so I'm not that stupid and I love reading now. But there was a point in my life where I got told you're not reading old, like old enough for your age when I was in year six. And so I just stopped reading for fun. Whereas me making these small amendments, like putting it on a separate page, it doesn't make a difference for someone who's neurotypical, but it really makes a difference for how um, a dyslexic person reads, but also how it makes a dyslexic person feel when they're reading a book. So if that's a conversation around boundaries, the, the conversation around edit, like with my editor was a similar thing of like, this is what I need. This is a priority to me and it's important to me. And then emphasizing that and communicating why it was important to me. We, found a way to make it work but it it meant I had to give up something else but I was happy to give that up but she wouldn't have known that if she hadn't told me my options and I wouldn't have known that if I had never communicated it in the first place did you tell her to you just she was just gonna have to compromise <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I literally you will very rarely hear the word compromise come out of my mouth yeah yeah, yeah. the uh so uh all right so that's like some of the 
you know, why people find it hard, like why it's sort of important. I guess it'd be quite useful to go and now sort of think about like what are some settings where this might happen? You know, I think we've spoken quite a lot about personal ones, but like let's say in the family or in work and just work through like both like how it might show up already, like if people might not realising they're experiencing it and then how, you know, you can go and start framing boundaries uh, in those different areas. Cool. So which top, which I don't know, work, family, which one do you want to do? I think the hardest one is probably family. They are the most ingrained relationships you have. It's where you learn communication. So if you have bad communication, it likely started at home first. And it's a very much mentality. In most families, there's a mentality of this is the way it's done and this is the way it's always going to be done and don't you dare try to change it. So... One of the things I think important to realize is you don't need to follow your generational patterns. You don't have to have the same boundaries as your parents. You can have different boundaries and you can change the relationships and the dynamics within your family by having good boundaries yourself, even if it takes you repeating yourself three, four times to get someone to respect your boundaries. Because in that instance, um, where I talk about cutting people out, um, after not respecting your boundaries, I think people have a reluctancy to doing the same within family relationships. And that often leads to people um, having a set different set of standards within their family relationships, but it also creates a taboo when people do actually cut family out. And so um, the example I use in the book is Meghan Markle, um, the amount of stigma and taboo she faced because of, the communication with her father, um, which is something that a lot of people face on a smaller, more personal level where a lot of people who've cut their family out, a lot of their friends won't know about it. They'll just have it as a secret, hidden shame, essentially. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of the Reddit, our relationships subreddit. Oh, oh, if you're, if you don't know it, you should get on it. It is, it's basically whenever it's people talking about sort of situations in their lives or am I the asshole as well. And then there's everyone's on Reddit. It's just like, cut them out of your life. It'll be for everything. It seems to be the answer. Oh, yeah. And that again is something where uh, I find that a bit challenging because, you know, there's, yeah, there's probably some uh, family members, they know who they are, where uh, where you just think, well, actually, if I was to do this, then it would, like, I would rather be close uh, to my family. I mean, it's not like, you know, awful stuff, but just the sort of things where, like, you'd, a conversation would not lead to any change from the other person. So you're just like, and so of just like going, well, that's my boundary in every other setting but this one. And I, to my mind, I just think that it's, you know, it's not killing me, but it's also just means that, you know, there's uh, things are able to function uh, and uh, sort of work uh, as a family. But that's my, yeah, what's your sort of reaction to people who might be having those thoughts? You know what? If it's your boundaries. Like, I think I was quite clear in the book to not dictate that my boundaries should be your boundaries. And if you want to keep a relationship in your life, simply if it's a transactional relationship, like I'm going to put up with my really annoying brother so that it doesn't affect my parents with my relationship with my parents. That's a choice you made. That's a, you've decided to ignore your boundaries. Fine. Go ahead. That's your choice. Who am I to judge? Like that is. Is that ignoring your boundaries? Cause I guess that's might be one of the things or just saying, 
look, that's what I've decided my boundary is in this setting. To not have a boundary. Or just to go, look, I'm going to have to, I'm going to go over and there's going to be uh, annoying Gladys at the wedding. You're at a wedding. There's someone says something which normally you'd like object to, but you're like, I'm not going to make a scene because the scene would go and disrupt someone's special day. That I'm going to, I'm going to accommodate this because that is uh, for the greater good of some undertaking. But that is still someone crossing your boundary. If you have a boundary, let's say, of someone not speaking badly about you or not body shaming you, and then Gladys decides to call you fat at a wedding and you decide to ignore it because you don't want to cause a scene at the wedding, like that is still, you have a, your boundary has been crossed, but you've just chosen not to do anything about it. But yeah, and I said, this is the fart, maybe, but like, is that, is that not okay? It's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because that's almost like you've set another boundary, which is, uh, if there are things which I can cope with uh, in the broader scheme, then I will go and be able to cope with them, provided it doesn't derail. Like if it if it would end up derailing something. So it's almost like you've got another boundary. Well, you've made a conscious choice there to to swallow it, keep the peace, whatever you want to call it, in order to not disrupt the wedding. Personally, I think it's a bit of an illusion that you standing up for yourself would disrupt the wedding but if you don't want to actually communicate in that instance and I've had it in my own life where I'm just like it's not worth my energy and that's the reasoning it but I think the it will disrupt the wedding is an illusion but I think on when I've been in those moments I have gone it's not worth my energy nothing's going to change the outcome's not going to change but the reason why I I guess the way I set my boundary in that situation is I walk away from the situation or I set the boundary by saying, to be fair, I do actually tend to set the boundary where I'll just go, I don't need to be in this conversation anymore. And I'll just walk away. That is me setting a boundary. I'm not, I'm not staying in a body shaming conversation. Setting your boundary doesn't have to always be cutting someone out or calling them out. Walking away from a conversation or refusing to take part in a conversation that you don't want to be in is also setting a boundary. Well, now this sounds like far more my cup of tea. So that's just like swallowing it and just getting on with it and sort of letting it. It's not swallowing it. It's not. Just keeping it all all inside and carrying on business as usual. Well, this works with my Britishness. No, excuse me. That was I did not approve that. No, that is not what I said. What I said. No, was, I, yeah. I, I, no, no. To clarify. Okay. All right. Clarify. What I said was, if you can, you can excuse yourself from a conversation if it if it is causing anger or resentment or crossing your boundaries in any way. You can excuse you, but the whole consequence of a boundary should be one that you can follow through on. So if you set the boundary around. If you continue talking about my body that way, I will be walking out of this conversation. That is setting a boundary. That's saying it's not okay. Swallowing it would be standing in that conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. and listening to her go on and on and on and you like nodding ahead. And yeah. And then drinking more and more until like you forget what she said because you've downed your entire glass. That would be swallowing it. In which case you are literally taking the shame she is trying to send in your direction and swallowing it. Like I do think swallowing it is quite a literal thing. Yeah, there was actually a great line in your book where you of like how to think it's an example of, uh, you know, that's not my emotion of like when that's not my that's not my shame of if someone says you would be ashamed if you walk down the aisle like that at your wedding. It's like, no, you'd be ashamed. I wouldn't be. You would be ashamed. And that is not my shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh... (laughs) 
I uh, was speaking to my wife about this and she's a very smart psychologist. And so, is it, you know, when you're sort of like in a uh, relationship with someone who I, don't know, I think I'm vaguely psychologically literate, so she obviously, where you like end up having this sort of super meta conversation about your communication. And so I just cannot wait uh, for her to be like, Oh my God, you know, you did living with someone with ADHD is challenging because I forget shit the whole time, just don't notice stuff, doesn't impinge on my consciousness in the same way. And then she'll be like, that's really stressing me out. It's like, that's not stressing, that's not stressing you out. You're stressing you out. You're choosing to react this way because I left our son in the snow for two days. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I look forward to using that tool. I mean, I, I, that's one of the things in my book. You can't make someone feel that way. So yes, it is very <laughs> annoying, but I do it to my friends sometimes where they're like, you're making me so angry. I'm like, I can't make you feel angry. That's so <laughs> insufferable. I can see why yeah. Amalia quit your podcast. The, uh, <laughs> and then, well, look, just before we go, uh, it would be good to like just now think about in a work situation, like what are some yeah. ways, because that can be, chat you as a freelancer you must have experienced what it's like to set a boundary there and how yeah so like talk about you know some of the areas it might people might be crossed and actually how do you go and set a boundary in the workplace uh well I guess the ultimate boundary is I don't work for the company again which has happened because uh people have been unprofessional or because they've they've been inappropriate and um but in smaller ways it's I'm really big on how people speak to one another and I just feel like it's not especially in a professional setting if you're communicating in a way that you should not be communicating in a way that's not professional then frankly like I have no time for it and I will tell you quite clearly another thing is around timing so you sending me an email at 10 o'clock at night you're just not going to get a reply at 10 o'clock at night um you sending me an email on a weekend not gonna or someone using my number that being freelance you have that a lot just because you've given your number in order to a phone call doesn't mean you get to call me on a Sunday because you need something that urgently if it's that urgent send me an email I still look I sometimes well sometimes I sometimes still look at my email on on uh, weekends come on but, you're a freelancer and you're an influencer there's you you don't all you've your boundaries are uh, not as phone, good my phone is uh, like 90% of the time on airplane mode. And I'm not joking. I don't turn my phone on until 11 o'clock every day. Like, in the, okay. Like, yeah. Impressed. So, I'm impressed. Actually, the reason why I have good boundaries is because I'm an influencer. Because otherwise I will be online my entire life. And it's not good for you is what I've learned. The people who know that the internet and social media is not good for you the most are influencers. And... um. So I, I'm quite careful around that. I mean, every year at Christmas, I delete it completely off my phone. So I did not check my emails for two weeks. I um, don't care how many emails you sent me because I literally did not see it. Um, I didn't even have social media on my phone. So even if you sent me a DM, wouldn't have seen it. Um, and they're the two best weeks of the year, every year. I love it so much. Um, but it's things like that which you can set boundaries around and I think especially now while we're in the pandemic uh where bosses have this attitude that well you have nothing better to do so I get to have access to you the entire time 
no, you don't. Sorry, but you don't get to decide what I do on weekends. I'm not on the clock then. So I get to do what I want, even if it's stay on the sofa and watch 12 hours of TV. Mm. That's my prerogative. Though also it is uh, the shoe can be on the other foot. I don't want to sound sound like a lickspittle for uh, the sort of capitalist bosses in this and uh, sort of standing up for the... uh, uh, the people in the top hats making the big coin. But it's, it can often be that they haven't ended up, like sometimes bosses are also receiving those emails, you know, that they are, they will have not set up appropriate boundaries with their with their reports, who maybe because they want to be involved, whatever it might be. and then And then it ends up sort of being something which goes and, sort of impinges on them. So uh, if there are some sort of internet billionaires listening to this, don't worry, We, you've also <laughs> got to set your boundaries. What I would say, though, is that when a boss has good boundaries, it tends to trickle down to the rest of the team. And I actually saw a great example of that um, with Joe Biden. He put out this thing saying, don't, I can't remember the wording of, of it and I'm totally going to butcher it, but he essentially said, like, I don't want you cancelling your family events in order to be working and if I find out you've done that like I will be very annoyed and to set that as a president like that not president precedent well, it's a president's president it was actually yeah. the vice president's president when he's now the president's president exactly yeah. but he did it as vice president yeah so um but I thought that was great boundaries and very rare and uncommon in a boss Hey, I think we've come to the end of this, not because we've run out of things to talk about, but because we are at the limits of the time that we've spoken about. Uh, And we, I'm just going to say one last thing, like what is, like for people, what is the absolute, like if you go and set boundaries properly, what's going to be the change that they see in their lives? In one word, simple. Like your life just gets simpler. There's no chaos, there's no drama um, because you say what you mean and you mean what you say. And as much as that's a cliche, it's so much easier not having to second guess whether someone's annoyed at you because you know you have people in your life who would just tell you if they're annoyed at you. And the moment that there's any form of interpersonal conflict, guess what you're doing? You're cutting that motherfucker out of your life. Uh, So that is a great, how to simplify your life. Cut everyone out. That's uh, thanks so much for sharing another really powerful insight about solitary confinement as the ultimate boundary. Saying that, I'm in solitary confinement. I'm in lockdown alone, and I do not recommend. Okay, look here. I want to say thanks so much for chatting. This has been really fun. Where can people uh, get your book? Uh, Where can people get more Michelle Elman? So you can get my book at all good online bookstores since bookstores are shut at the moment but online anywhere amazon wh smith foils blackwells waterstones i can name all of them but i'm not going to uh you can get them online it's ebook audiobook and hardback format and i am at scarred not scared on most things tiktok instagram and twitter and yeah that's me hey thank you so much you were great this was loads of fun and um that's it thanks for listening gang I love that conversation with Michelle. She is a ton of fun. It was uh, really great to, uh, you know, just uh, knock some ideas around, uh, have a go at her friend Amalia. Again, shout out to Amalia. I'm sure you're wonderful. Uh, And Issue of Boundaries is so interesting. I think it's particularly interesting in 
you know, if you're the sort of person who listens to this podcast, you might have a sort of sense of like being part of community, not putting yourself first, of wanting to be selfless and, you know, lots of these issues which sort of came up. So I think this can be a really challenging topic. Uh, but Michelle did a great job of exploring it. And yeah, one of the things that we spoke about, about how, you know, you can, one of the reasons we find it hard to set boundaries is because we don't know how to feel. And I often feel that when I go and reflect on something, I'm like, oh, what just happened there was bad. I should have reacted more in the moment. And so that was really, uh, that was really interesting. Uh, as ever, when, um, uh, yeah, I'd like to just do a bit of an update on what's going on with the Life on This Project. Uh, one, I, oh God, I don't want to announce things which aren't definitely going to happen, but I thought of like doing some sort of, I've, I've been trailing it a bit about, you know, finding a way to inject the voices of people in the community, but I'm almost thinking that could be a podcast series of like when new people join the lifefulness community to do an interview with them or something like that to go and share their stories. Cause that could be a really, uh, you know, great way of like, you know, actually letting people in on who's coming in and, you know, you know, also as a way for people to get to know each other. So anyway, I've literally just had that thought recently. It's, uh, now it's, uh, about seven on the Wednesday before this goes out. This week has been good. I had a really interesting insight on the landing page design. And and it was quite funny. I was with my ADHD coach and he just said, and I was talking about how like when sort of writing copy, I can end up sort of really getting, like it takes ages and I hate myself whilst doing it. And then he went, well, why don't you just read it out to me? And then I read it back to him and like it, it just just had a totally different reaction to it. And uh, yeah, I don't yet know what that says about me. I think it's something about the sort of how the meaning and ideas that I've got around me creating things somehow just literally changes the way that I see it. And so when I was just with him and I was in a, looking it back in a different way, you know, I was just able to read it and it, I was like, oh, that's that's all right. So anyway, uh, that's to say that I'm building some new landing pages for the lifefulness community. And one part of that is that in about an hour, starting the new small groups. So we've got the Lifefulness 101 course running. That's going really well. And I'm going to welcome three new people into the small groups. And then as new people join, we're going to get one group together and then we're going to sort of start another one. And we're just going to yeah, really start opening it up. So if you're interested, uh, do get in touch. That's about it. Uh, all right, then. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, you guys are fantastic. I We're going to do something where we get to meet you and we get to high five and sing a song together. And, you know, because this stuff is so important. I know if you're listening to this point here, I've got a super high chance of really loving your work because you love mine or maybe you just hate listen in which case I love you too it all counts and uh, that's it have a wonderful rest of your week no matter what you're doing where you are life is incredible we're doing this together thanks to James you really make this possible even though you weren't at all on this podcast Uh, thanks to Mavs the wonderful producer you're great dude Uh, Thanks so much to Will Andrews, who did the artwork, and of course, Roman Rapak and Miro Schott, who made the great music that you're listening to right now.